Last week, uh, Pastor Ed shared uh, about seven pathways that historically people have followed to connect with God. I think it's a really, really important message for us in our body and to understand about the body of Christ. If you weren't here, I encourage you to listen to that. Um, it really talked about the idea that we connect with God differently, and that's really important to understand, to be able to be okay with the way that you get God, that you connect with Him. Some of you connect mostly with God when you're studying the Scriptures. Things jump off the page, and you're a student, and things become alive when you study the Scriptures. For some of you, it's when we have a worship time together, and there's something about worship and that expression of that, that some, something comes alive in you. For some of you, really, life with God really doesn't even make sense unless we do something, unless we're serving in some way, like Operation Christmas Child. Later, we'll talk about the turkey blitz and and that's how you feel God and you experience God. And all of those are, are really, really important. Um, we don't really, I think, see the full extent of the body until we see all of these. But the key is to realize that, that everybody's way, everybody's pathway is appropriate and good. And we can even be stretched into experiences that aren't as natural for us. And things come alive by experiencing one another. It's our responsibility as pastors to kind of sense what's going on in our particular fellowship. And, and, and even though we value all of these, if we have not been giving time or, or attention to one of the areas as much, we need to kind of lean that direction. And so, so what we're looking at is not only are we going to continue in the things that we've been giving emphasis last couple of years, or, or several years in particular, we've been giving emphasis to things of the historical church, things that... that um, people have been doing since the beginning of this expression in God. And we say the words of the creed. We have communion together. And I did not come from that tradition. We, we didn't take communion every Sunday. We didn't say these words together like this. And I've just been soaking in this the last several years. It's, it's become very significant in my life to think that I'm saying these words and doing this expression that people have done for centuries and centuries and centuries. The saints that have gone before us are cheering us on in this. And there's something that connects us in that. And we're going to continue in that because it's, it's a significant part of of who we are. We also have been giving lots of opportunities for, for doing things, service kinds of things. Again, we'll talk at the end of service a little bit more about Turkey Blitz. Almost every month we have a, a significant way that you can express um, your love and care for people outside of, of our community here. But one of the things that we have felt that we have just um, not given time for is that sometimes you can overstructure things. Uh, Pastor Ed came to us a few weeks ago and said he just really felt like the Lord uh, was just encouraging us to nudge back towards giving time for us to stop and listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying right now. Um, what's happening um, right now? What, what's he speaking to us about? Sometimes even with very good things, sometimes we can come through the communion line, or we can say the words of the creed, and, and all of a sudden we find that we're thinking about lunch instead of what God really wants to do in my life right now. What's he wants, what does he want to do in our life together? And so what we're encouraging you, encouraging all of us, is to just listen. Every time you walk into this sanctuary, is, Lord, what are you saying? What are you saying right now? What are you saying to us 
as a body, what are you saying to me individually? Um, as Pastor Ed has kind of felt this stirring in him, uh, we're going to kind of follow his lead in some of this, as you saw him this morning, kind of taking a little bit more time in communion and those kind of things. He's going to kind of step into that a little bit more. And I'm really excited to see what God's going to say to us. Yeah. But, but we got to pay attention, okay? Because he can be talking all, to, all the time, and we cannot um, be taking the time for that to, to really listen. Um, this is, he, he kind of used the analogy last week, this is like driving a car. All seven of these pathways, we believe, are on the highway for sanctuary. And we're, we value all of these. Um, and we're just kind of leaning back, just as you need to kind of move the steering wheel a little bit. We're not taking an exit. We're not going off on some strange tangent. We're just kind of nudging back this direct direction. So is that good? Yeah. Can we all be ready to, to listen and see what God's going to do? Good. Yes. We've been doing a series the last few weeks on the cost of discipleship. You know, there are some hard things sometimes about following Jesus and about being a believer. And we're going to continue that today. We're going to talk about the cost of discipleship within the family. You know, it's November. And holidays are coming up. They are right around the corner. And we're going to be spending a lot of time with family and some of the time with the extended family that we only get with once a year. And for many of us, that is a blessing. We're really looking forward to that time with us. And for other ones of us, it reminds us of the cost of discipleship. <laughs> <laughs> and it is a stretch for us. And we're going to have to do some dying to self over the holidays in the next few months. In fact, some of you guys are getting stressed just thinking about being involved with family over the holidays. And so we want to spend some time today talking about how do we go into the holidays and really enjoy our families, talking a little bit about family dynamics and how we can celebrate this time and make it a positive time for us and for them. Part of the reason why it's so difficult for us when we get together is that we're so different. It's like we all come from the same stock, and yet we're really different from each other. And especially if we've lived a long ways away, they parent differently than you do. And you still have to be around their kids. And they have different views on politics. They have different ways that they live their lives. And so we're very different, and yet we're called together. And so oftentimes that brings us tension. And we want to look at how do we deal with that tension so we can celebrate the season. Now, Jesus had a family too. And uh, so can you imagine what it was like um, at Christmas time, sitting around the table, um, Jesus' time around the hearth, and here we are praying to God across the table. <laughs> Be a little different, huh? Um, and of course, Jesus' family was like perfect. They had it like down perfect, right? Everything went real smooth with his family. Um, not so much if you look at the scripture. Um, in Mark, 30, or Mark 3, 20, it says, Then Jesus entered a house, and, a, and again a crowd gathered, so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, he is out of his mind. Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. The crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, Your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mother and brothers? He asked. 
Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Pretty strong statement, huh? I mean, it would, at least on the surface, sound kind of like a discount or disrespectful. And this particular scripture, we could kind of go all different tangents here. There's some things probably that are being said that I don't even understand or know exactly what they're saying. But I think the key thing that I want us to not miss is that Jesus is simply differentiating himself from his family. He's saying, I'm different. I've got a different call. I have, I'm, a, I'm, on a, I'm in a different place. I'm here to do something different than my family. And I have to separate myself from them. And that's okay. Now, some people would have been nervous about this. They would have kind of maybe been embarrassed. They would have thought, oh my gosh, I've got to get my family settled down. And so I would have rushed outside and tried to explain everything. And this is why I'm doing this. Come on, guys, you know. Uh, probably somebody in, in his family, like we all have people in our family like this, would want to grab Jesus by the collar and go, Jesus, you're embarrassing us. What are you doing? Come on, come home. Let's talk about this. You keep this stuff in the family. You know, don't start going off on all these tangents. What are you doing here? Jesus is simply saying, we're different, and that's okay. But this idea of differentiation creates tension. We've talked about this before, that, you know, usually by the time we hit 13 or 14, we think we've got the world pretty well figured out. Don't you think you, you know kind of the right answers to most things? Now, if you hang with other people that think the way you do, you know, I share with you what I'm thinking, and you agree with me, and you share similar to what I think, then you're brilliant. <laughs> you're a great person. I'd love to hang out with you. But the minute you think different, well, I know I'm right. You're different. Well, logically, you must be wrong, right? And so I need to help you. I need to help you see the, tr see the light and come into truth. Tension, right? This difference creates tension. So what do we do about this? Let's take a look at Matthew 13, 54 through 57. Coming to his hometown, he began teaching the people in their synagogues, and they were amazed. Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers, they asked? Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? And aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? Aren't all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, only in his hometown and in his own house is a prophet without honor. You would have thought the friends, the neighbors would have said, yeah, you know, local boy makes good. Look at all the things he's doing. This is awesome. But he was different. Wait a second. He grew up with us. What's he doing? This isn't stuff that we do. So they separated themselves because they were offended. Sometimes even when we're doing right, even when we're doing good things, when we're succeeding, people will be uncomfortable with us and they will separate because they feel the tension that's there. We want tension-free relationships. That's what all of us are looking for. But there's only a couple ways that we can get tension-free relationships. So the first way is... Uh a way that we call emotional fusion. And that is, let's just downplay our differences. Let's, let's decrease individuality and individual expression. Let's just go along to get along. It's kind of a passive way to do it. We just, 
We just want to keep the peace, so let's just all pretend like we think the same way, and let's just all get along. Uh, there's another extreme of that, which is I'm going to make people think the way I think. Um, I'm going to convince them. I'm going to just argue with them and prove to them that, that I'm right um, and, and they're wrong. Amen. <laughs> um, Happy Thanksgiving. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And both of these extremes are really our own need to get our sense of value or significance through other people. We, we, need, their, we need their acceptance. And so... What does Jesus say about this? Well, in Luke 14, he talks about this story of, of people are being invited into the kingdom of God. They're being invited into this path of following Jesus. And he starts getting um, uh, reactions from people. He starts getting excuse after excuse after excuse. You probably remember the passage. One person says, well, I just bought a bunch of, bunch of oxen. Another one says, I, I, I just bought a field. That might be like us starting a business. Another person said, well, they just got married. Because of these things, I really can't do that. I really can't follow you, Jesus. I, I've got to take care of these things first. Verse 26 in Luke 14 says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Wow. Wow. Hate, pretty, pretty strong word here. I hate my family here. Now, for a person in the first century, this was even more, more extreme than we could even imagine now because family was the highest priority in the culture. He's going to be easily misunderstood for this one. Now, I don't believe that he is literally suggesting that you need to hate your family. Some, a few of you are going, oh, well... I thought at least I had that one down. Um, don't think that's what he's saying here, okay? But he's simply saying that to follow me, to, to do kingdom life, to follow the way of the kingdom, there's going to be times where you're going to have to go opposite of your family. You're going to have to disconnect and separate yourself, differentiate yourself, and do stuff different. And you're going to look different, and you're not going to get their acceptance it's going to require that to be a disciple. Um, you have to make that separation to serve Christ. Now, Matthew 6, 24, it talks about not serving two masters. Now, we've always looked at that as you can't serve God in money. But there's a general expression of this that says you cannot serve God and please people all the time. It's not going to work. If you're going to follow, if you're going to be a disciple of Christ and you're going to follow him, you can't please people all the time. So emotional fusion, this idea of, of let's just try to all think the same is not the answer here. That we have to be comfortable with difference. Another unhealthy thing that we do to help us deal with the tension is emotional cutoff. I think this way, you think that way. So why don't you go over there and I'll go over here and we don't really have to spend time with each other. We'll just kind of stay in our own world. That's what we've done in the church for years. It's, you know, you guys do communion wrong. So you go over there. Or really, you sprinkle? We dunk, you know? So you guys do what you're doing. Or you do contemporary songs instead of hymns? Or you do hymns instead of contemporary songs? 
we all have our opinion. And an emotional cutoff is, I'm going to get with people who are just exactly like me, and we're going to have our little world, and you be with people that are just exactly like you, and you guys go over there, okay? And then we don't have any tension between us. Jesus experienced some of this with his family in that John 7, 1. It says, after this, Jesus went around in Galilee. And remember, Galilee is his hometown, the place where everybody knew him purposely staying away from Judea because the Jews there were waiting to take his life. Good reason to stay away. But when the Jewish feast of the tabernacles was near, Jesus' brother said to him, you ought to leave here and go to Judea so that your disciples may see the miracles you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world. And here's the key verse. For even his own brothers did not believe in him. They're not giving this as good advice. Hey, why don't you go here? That'll further your career. Basically, what they're saying is, it's awkward having you here. Go away. We're going to stay here. Go on out there because you're embarrassing us. It's a separation. You go your way and I'll go mine. So this way of getting rid of tension requires that we react, that we oppose those that are different. And one of our favorite things to do here is we like to label people. Well, you know those people. Um, you know those liberals. I know we're just a couple days away. I thought this would incite a riot maybe this morning. Um, or you know those conservatives. And we put them in a box, and we don't have to deal with them anymore. They're bad. They're wrong because they don't think the way I do. There's, nothing could be good in them. So we absolutely separate ourselves from them. So this sense of differentiation that Jesus is leading in is not this sense of fusion that we all have to think alike. It's not this sense of cutoff where we just separate ourselves from each other. We've got to be able to be in a body and allow differences to flourish. We've got to be able to be in a body and not disconnect from each other because the more you know each other, and get to know each other. That's one of the challenges of small groups. You're going you're gonna to get to know each other a little bit better. A picture is always looks better from a distance. Have you ever looked at an oil painting? You stand back and, oh, it just looks wonderful. And you get real close and it's like, wow, that's kind of weird. You know, it's just, it just it doesn't look quite as good. And so we have to have that ability to be able to accept each other in the midst of that. So this, so what differentiation is, is individuality in relationship valuing individuals and staying connected to each other, holding on to each other and linking arms with each other. First Corinthians 12 says, the body is a unit that is made up of many parts. And though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. But in fact, this is the important part. God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. So he's the one that you can blame for all the difference and all the different perspectives and expressions uh, that we have out there. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. So how do we do this? How do we do this practically? How do we live this out? I believe we have to think right and we have to act right. So, some, so what are some of those things that we have to think right about? We really have to go into the holiday prepared with healthy thoughts. I recommend that people have a spiral notebook and they write out, these are the things I know to be true and walk in prepared in their minds for the positive time that God has for them. The first one that I recommend is you are valuable and you are fully loved. 
whether your family ever expresses it or not. You are loved by the God of the universe. He chose you. He loves you. It doesn't matter what your family says. It doesn't matter whether they're not capable of showing you that love. You are fully loved and you are fully accepted just the way that you are. You can't change or fix your family members. The only person you can change is you. And we get into situations like this and we really want to play the Holy Spirit. You know, I really want to just point out a few things that if you changed in your life, it will really make things better. Or this is what you really need to do. But that's not our job. Our job is to love people. We need to let the Holy Spirit do his job in changing and guiding and directing. And along with that, you're not responsible for them. You know, sometimes we go into the holidays going, I'm going to get everybody saved. And it's a, it's a great idea. But the Holy Spirit is the one that convicts people and leads them to salvation. Our job is to be obedient in what God is speaking to us, but not feel this pressure that I've got to do this, and I've got to do this, and I've got to do this. Sometimes we actually get in the way of what God is doing. You know, God loves the people that we love even more than we do. That is so hard to imagine, especially when it's your kids. It's so hard to imagine. But he loves them more than we do, and he has the ability and the power to reach them in ways that we never could. He's already at work in their lives. We may not see it, but he's already at work, and our job is to be obedient. My freshman year of college, um, I remember I really felt like the Lord impressed on me that I was supposed to spend that year telling my dad how awesome he was. Now, my dad was a rough guy. He came from a very difficult background, dropped out of, uh, out of high school, and he had a lot of issues. And God kept prompting me to buy things that said, world's greatest dad, and send it to him. And send him cards and say, I love you, you're wonderful, when I was away at college. And I remember at Christmas, I handed him a gift, and it said, I'm going to try to get through this. It said, um, world's greatest dad. And I don't know if he said this out loud or not, because we both remembered some really bad situations over the years. But he looked at me, and I remember sparkling his eye. And basically what he was saying is, it's not true. And I looked at him, and I said, mm. Allergies. <laughs> I looked at him and I said, I love you, Daddy. And there was a healing that came for me at that moment that in spite of the rough things we had gone through, it just didn't matter. There was healing for me. And I honestly believe there was a healing for him. I saw a softening in him because of obedience. You don't have to feel pressure but we do want to be open to, Holy Spirit, what are you saying? And if that means nothing, if that means you are just to love him and be there for him, that's what God wants. But listen to what he's saying to you. Next one is they're not a reflection of you. Sometimes we think we want them to change for their good, but sometimes it's because we want them to look better for us because um, we feel like they make us look bad or we're embarrassed by something. And and uh, so it, it's, 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 about, it's about loving them for the proper reasons. The next one is you can love them without getting their approval. Um, don't waste a lot of time and energy trying to convince family of things, getting into these long debates on thoughts and issues and stuff. 
Um, goes a little last, but no matter how much you talk, they may never still understand you. But again, recognizing God understands you. Even if they never understand you, they never get where you're coming from, they don't know really how to take care of you, they don't know how to meet your needs. Um, but God does trust in that. So what are some practical steps, just real quick? Um, the first one is to celebrate what you have. It's not going to probably look like a Hallmark family, um, but celebrate what it is that you have. There's something in your system that you can celebrate. C.S. Lewis says that we often miss the present good that God has put in our lives because we want the anticipated good. We have this idea in our mind of what family ought to look like, and if it was just like this, or if, if my dad would just do this, or my sister would just do this, then things would be better. And we miss the, the, the good possibilities that are there. Um, Paul talked about being content in all circumstances. So, so how do we identify and celebrate the good that we do have? The next thing we need to do is we need to plan to have good holidays. You know, sometimes we think if we just get everybody together, it's going to be wonderful. Well, you haven't seen each other for a whole year. You have totally different lives, and you're all together in a house, and all of a sudden everybody gets cranky, and it's like, what happened here? We have to plan so that it's a positive experience. And sometimes that means we don't do things the way that we've done in the past or the way that we think we should do it. Um, one of the things that we noticed over the years is we would go up to Indiana for holidays and we'd take all of our four little kids up there and oftentimes the events that were planned up there were geared around the grandkids that were there that were older and that hadn't been in a car for hours. And so we would all, 900 of us, try to go to a movie together or try to go to the children's museum together or whatever. And it was either too old for our kids or too scary for our kids or they were too tired and it was nap time. And it ended up being miserable for everybody. We had to learn to go, you know what, it's a great idea, but that's not going to work for our family. We're going to go back and let everybody take a nap while you all go to the children's museum. It brings peace when we say, this is what is right for us. We love you all, but we need to make some decisions to make it more positive. That may mean you need to stay in a hotel and that it's really better, that you have to throw out that idealistic view that all these families can stay in grandma's house together and be happy together. That may not happen. And so it's okay to say, we're going to do this because it brings peace. If you have seven days off, you don't have to spend all seven days with the extended family. You can spend three days with them and then spend four days with your immediate family. We've learned over the years as our kids are grown that we like to have time just our immediate family and we stay in a hotel away from everybody. Do what works for you guys. Your family may not understand but it's so much better to have three wonderful days with them where you drive away and go, oh, it's so great to be with them. It was awesome. Then seven days where you drive and go, I am never seeing those people again the rest of my life. They drive me nuts. So plan to make it a good holiday, but do what's right for you to bring peace. And to be able to find this or to have this kind of peace, you've got to um, develop some exit strategies. Um, 
and, and the more pre-planned your exit strategies, the better off you are, okay? I can tell you that from experience. Um, when I was young and dumb and early married, uh, we'd be around holiday, and she was trying to give me the look. You all know what the look likes, you know, which is like, we need to go, or we need to take a break or something. And I'd go, what? Yeah. What? <laughs> and she'd go, oh, forget it, okay? So we developed pre-planned exit strategies. So if I raise my eyebrows... Or if she tugs on her ear, that means if we don't leave within the next five minutes, somebody's just going to die. Um, we have got to get out of here. And that just may mean a break. That just may mean going to Starbucks or taking a walk or the kids now need naps or whatever. Um, and we've done this so well that our grown kids now, when they come and visit us, they spend a lot of time at Starbucks. Um, <laughs> So, so they've learned that. They know how to take exit strategies as well. And so, but the more planning you can do ahead of that, it just, it's like, we love you, but we need to love you from a distance um, for a little bit. And it's okay. Again, we're different. It's okay. We're us. You're you. It's okay. The next thing you need to do is if you've had a difficult year or something has occurred this year that people are going to ask you about and you're feeling awkward, prepare your answers ahead of time. It's better to come up with a couple pat answers and say those than to get caught in a situation where you're saying more than you want to and you walk away and go, I can't believe I just told them all that about my ex-husband. That was really bad. So prepare your answers ahead of time. So if they ask, like, why did you get a divorce? Or what's the deal? Do you guys just not want children or what? Why haven't you had any yet? Or I thought your son started college in August. How come he's not in college anymore? You know what? You don't have to say because he was drunk for the first two months and never went to class. You know? You don't have to. Fortunately, I've never experienced that. I'll just make it clear. You don't have to say that. You can go, you know what? We just really felt like he needed some time at home. <laughs> and so did our wallet. But it's okay to come up with a pat answer. And then if they keep asking, you just sweetly look at them and you say, thank you so much for your concern. You know what? I'm just not comfortable talking about that right now. And they'll ask another question and you just go, Oh, thank you so much. I just am not comfortable talking about that right now. And if they keep asking, you go, you know what? You just pray for us. I just don't feel comfortable talking about that right now. And even the most persistent person will back off. But it's okay to not share everything. It really is okay for you to go in and protect yourself emotionally. They love you. You are not on display. They're not trying to judge you. But you may feel that way. And to keep you from having that, just prepare your answers and be ready going in. The next one is look for the good in every one of your relatives. We talked about looking for the good in your environment and your circumstances. But think about each of the individuals. Every single person has redeeming qualities. Everybody was made in the image of God. Now, that image might be getting a little fuzzy over the years, uh, and you may have a hard time pulling that out. But ask the Lord, what is, what is it that, that is special about this person? And celebrate that. Mm -hmm. Celebrate that. It'll, it'll affect your attitude. It'll, it'll affect your responses to them uh, and the experience that you have with them. Look for ways to be a blessing. Just because we're differentiating doesn't mean we quit giving and loving one another. So look for things that you can do to be a blessing. It can be things as simple as taking the trash out when it gets full. 
watching the dishwasher when the cycle's done, unload it and load the dirty dishes back in again. See if they need milk or toilet paper. Or if your sister went through a tough time, be there to walk alongside her if somebody starts to ask her those questions that she doesn't want to answer. Be there to kind of run interference for her in the midst of that. Look for ways that you can bless people and always be thankful. Anything you can thank people for, thank you for hosting this at your house. Thank you so much for bringing so much food. Thanks for taking the, all the trouble to come this far and be with us. Gratitude creates an atmosphere of love. So the more we can tell people we are grateful, we're thankful for what they have done for us, the more positive the experience is going to be for everyone. And finally, uh, remember that everybody you're dealing with is facing their own stuff. They've got their own insecurities, their own fears, their own private pain that they're dealing with. Another statement of C.S. Lewis says, is always remember that everyone you meet is fighting a battle. And so as they fight their battle, as they fight their own demons, sometimes people close to you will hit you. They'll, they'll bloody you. They'll black your eye. But they don't mean to. I envision it's a little bit like they're grabbing a sword, you know, one that you have to take by two hands. And, and they are fighting their demons. And they are slashing at the air and dealing with their own things. And when you get close to them, and they're very powerful people in your life because they're family, there's going to be times where they're going to accidentally hit you, either with the hilt of their sword or their elbow or something is going to, is going to bloody you. Hurt people hurt people. So if you can get a picture of mercy in your heart for people, the definition of mercy is to get in the skin of another person, inside the skin of another person and feel what they feel, experience what they experience, um, and, and walk a mile in their moccasins, so to speak. So if you can get in their world and recognize they're dealing with their own pain, then you won't take it as personally. We take things very personally over the holidays because these are powerful people in our lives. But remember, they're fighting their own stuff. Incredible time of the year, incredible opportunity. We have high, high expectations. A lot of those expectations are not necessarily going to be met. Um, but it depends on how we prepare ourselves. Our heart is, our desire is, as disciples of Jesus, to be the hand and face of God into our family's life. And to do that, we have to prepare. I believe this can be um, an incredible part of time, um, season of time for all of us. Um, but there's a cost involved in this. I'm just going to ask you as we close, if you just close your eyes just for a moment. Father, we recognize that just even speaking about this and talking about family and the holidays stirs all kind of stuff up in, in many of us. Um, everything from some anticipation and some it'll be good and some time off and all those kind of things to some disappointments, some hurts. Some of the things that have been said to us or been said about us or interactions that we've had or things that we wish could have happened and just the person just isn't capable of doing it. Um, all of that stuff stirs in our heart. I pray first of all for each individual here, Lord. I, I know that whatever pain that they may experience or unsettle, um, whatever they may be unsettled with, Lord, I just pray for the power of your spirit to just settle on each person here. Lord, that you begin to, to soften, begin to heal, um, and help them know that you get it. You understand, even though family may never get them, never, never understand them that you do. And I pray for the power of your spirit to, to go through each one of us now, Lord. We want to be able to exp 
express you, to reflect you in a healthy way. And we absolutely know, we acknowledge our human weakness. We know that we must decrease and you must increase to be able to do this. So fill us up to overflowing mm -hmm. so that when people see us and experience us, that they get a little glimpse of you. So we trust the power that is in your spirit to be able to do that. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. amen.